The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the foundational event of Christianity. Unless this actually took place as an event of history 2,000 years ago, Christianity has no basis for belief, nor does it provide true hope for humanity. But is it possible to know that this event really took place? Is there any evidence that a thoughtful believer or skeptic could consider which provides intellectual grounds for belief in Jesus' resurrection? In today's podcast, we will begin to answer this question by looking at the outline of an argument for the resurrection of Jesus. We will also consider two pieces of historical evidence for this central event of the Christian worldview. Welcome to the Reasoned Hope Podcast. In this podcast, we explore the intellectual credibility of the Christian faith and seek to show why the central hope found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. I hope that today's episode is both an encouragement and a challenge to you, whether you are a believer or a skeptic. It is important to understand that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are historical events, and as such, they can be investigated using the same tools of historians. This involves looking at an event or events of the past, examining the historical evidence that one has, and then trying to determine what explanation best makes sense of the available facts. An argument for the historicity of Jesus' resurrection will proceed in a similar manner. First, we will seek to establish the historical facts that provide evidence for the resurrection. Second, we will argue that Jesus' resurrection best explains these historical facts when compared with rival hypotheses. Now, there are many historical facts that one could use to make a case for Jesus' resurrection, but the argument that I will be providing is based on three core facts. One, the empty tomb. Two, the resurrection appearances. And three, the origin of the Christian faith. Now, to have a resurrection, it is obvious that there must be a death. So it is important to first look at whether there is good historical evidence to conclude that Jesus was actually killed by crucifixion. Jesus' death is disputed by other faiths, such as Islam, which claim that Jesus did not really die on the cross, but that his death was only apparent. The account of Jesus' crucifixion and death can be found in Matthew 27. A portion of this account says, quote, as they were going out, they found a Cyrenian man named Simon. They forced him to carry his, that is Jesus, cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. After crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. End quote. Further on, the same account testifies to Jesus' death. Quote, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, 
That is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and offered him a drink. But the rest said, Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. End quote. So, according to this account in Matthew, as well as the other gospel writers, Jesus was led out to be crucified by the Romans, and there he died. He did not merely faint or appear to die, but gave up his spirit. One aspect of Jesus' death that is important to understand is that the Romans were experts at crucifying people. The soldiers supervising crucifixions were required to ensure the death of their victims. Usually, this meant breaking the legs of those on the cross so they could not breathe. But in the case of Jesus, the Roman soldiers pierced his side with a spear. The Gospel writer John records this in John 19, 31-34. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs, since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. End quote. The physical agonies of crucifixion and the effects it has on the body have been studied by physicians and leave no doubt that Jesus was dead. An article from the Journal of the American Medical Association titled, On the Physical Death of Jesus Christ, provides even further support for this conclusion. According to Dr. Alexander Metherell, quote, The spear apparently went through the right lung and into the heart. So when the spear was pulled out, some fluid the pericardial effusion and the pleural effusion, came out. This would have the appearance of a clear fluid like water, followed by a large volume of blood, as the eyewitness John described in his gospel. End quote. After Jesus' death, he was buried in a tomb of a man named Joseph of Arimathea, and a guard was placed at its entrance. The fact of Jesus' death by crucifixion is a well-attested historical fact and is accepted by critical scholars who do not believe Jesus was raised from the dead. For example, Bart Ehrman, a New Testament scholar and critic of Christianity, states, quote, The crucifixion of Jesus by the Romans is one of the most secure facts we have about his life. Whenever anyone writes a book about the historical Jesus, it is really, really, really important to see if what they say about his public ministry can make sense of his death. End quote. So we have the fact that Jesus was killed by crucifixion, and now it is time to consider the fact of his burial. If the account of Jesus' burial is not sound, this means it will be difficult to have a basis for believing in the empty tomb. Without an empty tomb, there can be no resurrection. According to William Lane Craig, Jesus' burial in the tomb is one of the best established facts about Jesus. Chiefly, this is because the account of Jesus' burial is found in multiple, early, independent sources. When historians seek to understand an event of the past, 
it is very important what kinds of sources they have to work with. The closer in time the sources are to the event in question is an important criterion. Another criterion is how many sources one has and whether they are independent of one another. The evidence for Jesus' burial displays all these characteristics. One account of Jesus' burial is found in Mark 15. Quote, When it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking for the kingdom of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. After he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down and wrapped him in the linen. Then he laid him in a tomb cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were watching where he was laid. End quote. The gospel writers based their accounts on early source material, eyewitness testimony to the events they recorded. Scholars have dated this material in the Gospel of Mark to within seven years of Jesus' crucifixion. This early time frame is excellent in terms of historical standards. Another significant source for Jesus' burial is found in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul refers to an early Christian creed. Paul says, quote, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. End quote. Now, Paul is here quoting an old Christian creed that he got from those who were trained by Jesus himself and were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. In Galatians 1.18, Paul mentions how he traveled to Jerusalem to meet with these first disciples of Jesus in the year A.D. 36. This was within the first five years after Jesus' death. Now, it is the second line in this creed which refers to Jesus' burial that he was buried. The point in looking at the passage in Mark and in 1 Corinthians is to provide examples of early and independent sources that the New Testament provides for Jesus' burial in the tomb. And there are even more such sources of the same quality when we consider the ones used by the other gospel writers, Matthew, John, and Luke. Another important piece of information to note about the account of Jesus' burial is that it mentions a man named Joseph of Arimathea. This man was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, a ruling council of the Jews. It was well known that both the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin did not favor Jesus during his earthly ministry, and they were the ones to plan and instigate his crucifixion. The fact that the Gospel writers say that Joseph, a member of this group, was a follower of Jesus and buried him in his own tomb is very difficult to comprehend unless it was actually true. This fulfills another criterion that historians use to determine credible sources from untrustworthy sources. It is called the criterion of embarrassment. The idea is that if a source includes details that would either make the author look bad or cast doubt on the credibility of their testimony, it is more likely to be true. 
If the gospel writers were fabricating their accounts, they would not have a member of the Sanhedrin bearing Jesus. In light of such evidence, John A.T. Robertson, a scholar from Cambridge University, has said that, quote, The burial of Jesus in the tomb is one of the earliest and best attested facts about Jesus, end quote. Now, if this is the case, then it means that it will be very difficult to deny the historical reality of Jesus' empty tomb. Now, at this point, some will dispute that the New Testament accounts cannot serve as credible historical evidence because they were written by those who followed Jesus. The charge seems to be that if one has a vested interest in, or is perhaps biased in some way towards a person or event, they are less likely to report what actually took place. However, it seems that this sweeping judgment about the gospel writers must face the actual historical facts surrounding the New Testament documents, as well as the character and nature of the eyewitness testimony provided. Various elements of this objection will be addressed as we proceed. For now, it must be said that the New Testament documents are among the best-tested writings we have from the ancient world. They are all written by eyewitnesses of the events they describe, or those who knew the eyewitnesses. They are very early, that is, close in time to the events they report, and they are independent. They do not display characteristics of documents that are forgeries, legends, or embellishments. The New Testament writers had no real motive to make up a story like what is given in the New Testament, and they gained nothing from it but persecution, and in many cases, death. Moreover, the idea that someone has a vested interest in something in no way means they will not report the truth. On the contrary, it can have the opposite effect. This can provide even more motivation to make sure the truth is known. By way of review, we are considering the intellectual credibility of the resurrection of Jesus. In this episode, I presented the bare outline of an argument that the resurrection of Jesus is well attested historically. Thus, there are excellent historical grounds for believing that it occurred. The argument is centered on three main historical facts surrounding the resurrection. One, the empty tomb. Two, the resurrection appearances. And three, the origin of the Christian faith. The argument moves from these facts and says that Jesus' resurrection is the best explanation for them. We have so far considered historical evidence for Jesus' death as well as his burial in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. The evidence shows that both events are well attested as their support comes from multiple, early, and independent sources. Such criteria are the same as those used in the canons of historical research. This means that the first core fact surrounding Jesus' resurrection, the empty tomb, enjoys significant support. Without a historically credible death and burial, the empty tomb could be dismissed as legend or the product of delusion. The groundwork is now laid for us to consider the historical evidence for the empty tomb itself. Hey everyone, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. It really means so much to me, and there wouldn't be a point in doing a show like this if there weren't people to listen to it. So please know that I really appreciate each and every one of you who takes the time to listen to the show. 
And I would also encourage you that if this is a show you benefit from, that you find that is interesting and challenging in a good way, regardless of wherever you're at in your beliefs, that you would um, subscribe to the show. That way you won't miss when new episodes come out. You'll get a notification from uh, whatever podcast platform that you use. And that way you can stay up to date with it. And also, uh, I would just encourage you, uh, if you benefit from the show, if you could leave a good review uh, wherever you get your podcast from. That way, other people can see this podcast and they can have an idea of how it is helping and encouraging other people or what other people like about it. I also have an email address, uh, reasonedhopepodcast at gmail.com. There's always an open invitation here for you to send me questions uh, that you have or topics that you may want covered on the show. And most importantly, please remember that there is reason for hope in Jesus Christ.